0: Welcome to Talk, your source for the latest insights, trends, news, and resources from leaders in the building performance and rating world. Here's your host, a committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer and the podfather of energy efficiency, Bill Spohn. Hello and welcome back to Talk, the podcast for the Residential Energy Services Network, ResNet. It's our goal here at ResTalk to communicate late-breaking news and thoughtful insights about all the topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings and associated and related areas to the broad array of stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. So whether you're a housing consumer, rater, builder, realtor, or appraiser, you want to hear more about these evolving trends in home energy ratings. The advent of a new year naturally brings broader thinking, more introspection. In the creation of future goals, what future goal has Resnet Board recently adopted? What near-term initiatives create the path to that goal? How confident is Resnet in meeting that goal? And what is an embodied passion index? In this 2024's inaugural episode of the Res Talk podcast, Steve Baden and Mark Johnson will discuss Resnet's ambitious goal of achieving 1 million ratings by the end of 2028. This goal represents a significant shift towards a goal-driven budget, breaking away from traditional year-to-year budgeting. The board's decision to set such an audacious goal is based on several factors, including the increasing demand for housing, the need for energy-efficient homes, and the availability of new tools and initiatives. A key initiative is ResNet's collaboration with the ICC, International Code Council, to improve compliance with energy codes. This involves training and certifying ResNet, HERS, RATERs, can play a crucial role in ensuring compliance. Additionally, the extension of the 45L tax credit provides incentives for builders to focus on energy efficiency in homes. There are many more topics which we touch upon and discuss in this podcast with Steve Baden and Mark Johnson, and we'll just let you get right into it and listen up as ResNet talks about the audacious goal for 2028 and the supporting initiatives with Steve Baden and Mark Johnson. This is our inaugural episode of 2024, and we have with us Steve Baden and Mark Johnson. How are you doing, gentlemen?
1: Doing very good. Excited about the new year. Doing well, Bill.
0: Good, good. So this is a typical podcast where we kick off the new year, and we talk about some of the goals and the activities and initiatives that are going to take place with ResNet in the year, the coming year and years going forward. But Steve, I wanted you to There's a really interesting goal that the board has adopted. Can you get into that a little bit?
1: The board has decided to take a long view in terms of the budget. Traditionally, we did it year to year based upon what expected income. But what the board wanted to do is initiate a goal-driven budget. So the first step in doing such a thing like that is to make a goal, set a goal, a milepost, and then use the budget as the means to get to that, achieving that goal. And the board adopted a very aggressive goal, and that is a million ratings would take place a year by the end of 2028. And in line with that, and we'll talk about that later, they adopted a number of initiatives that it felt that could meet that goal. And so this is a very ambitious goal, as it's bigger than anything, but I think in some respects, with the environment we're in, it pays to be bold. And if you don't set a goal, you won't make it. And if you make it so low, then what's the purpose of setting a goal?
0: Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit towards the signals or indicators that gave you the confidence to be able to set an ambitious goal like this?
1: First of all, was just the traditional area right now, because back in the first quarter of 2024, everyone was saying that the housing market was expected to drop. Inflation was going to run rampant, and we were looking at a worst case scenario on how residents finances would look and budget if the as predicted downfall didn't take place. But lo and behold, in 2023, we actually broke our records for the number of homes. We've rated more than 20,000 more homes, so that just shows the trajectory is moving up, and that's being driven by some of these initiatives we'll talk about. And then addition is that we are now having new tools in our chest, if you will, that will help drive it, ranging from this whole build a rent movement, which is exciting and growing across the country, to embodied carbon, to carbon ratings, to water ratings. So because all this stuff now, after we've been working years to put in place, will go online, it is felt that it would reach a critical mass that would lead to achieving that goal.
0: Mark, if you could also add in any color to that discussion in terms of some of the signals that give you the confidence in this action.
2: I think to Steve's point is the most recent data we're seeing on ratings shows growth. But what particularly gives me confidence is the growth that continued even during COVID, a dire time for us. The ratings held up very, very well. So you saw some strength, some resiliency there. But I think where I think, though the goal is audacious, I think that's probably the best word to describe it. And when I was doing the math, I was looking at that saying, hey, Steve, this shows basically about 175% growth between the end of this year and 2028. But what gives me confidence is the program with water efficiency ratings, which we all know that water is a critical asset for us. And we're seeing A lot of scarcity. I'm out here in California where we're struggling with that continuously. So I see a lot of strengths coming from the water ratings area which is going to be a new growth area for us and also the operational carbon index ratings that we'll be doing. So there's two new programs that will help drive our ratings growth, but also too if we just look at the energy ratings, they've continued to grow just on their own and they've grown through some pretty challenging times. So that gives me confidence and then I think you're looking at the demand the societal goals. We're looking at how we can make buildings, new homes perform with more efficiency. And so I think you're seeing a lot more people looking at that more carefully. They're demanding that from their new homes. And when we look at basically utility costs being one of the second most expenses that homeowners have second to their mortgages, they're taking a more focused viewpoint on that. So I feel really confident that though the goals are audacious, I think they're obtainable
1: it.
0: Even this morning's news, I was listening, our local natural gas utility has put in a petition to raise rates
1: 21%. Yeah. The other thing is add what Mark has said, and that this country is facing a housing crisis. And people, there is a dire need for housing. And I think that's going to drive demand. And I think what's over the past for a number of reasons, I think we finally made that threshold where people equate energy efficiency as affordable housing. And so as we go forward, I think that it's unlike 2008, the crisis we had back in 2008, where we overbuilt. I think it's clear pretty much from almost all sectors of the country, we don't have enough housing.
0: Yes. Going back to the original statement, Steve, there's some underlying initiatives that have been put in place to move towards this goal. So operationally, and that's a very interesting transformation. From a year to year budget to a goal driven budget. So kudos on that. That shows the strength and vision of the organization. So some of these things have to fall into line in 2024 to make it happen over that long term. Could you get into some of those and give us a little explanation? And back and forth between you and Mark, you could give us an idea of what these initiatives are.
1: Okay. I think the first one, and I'll start the first one and let Mark take over, but I think clearly the idea that having Hersh Raiders seen as the go to source for energy code compliance. We spent decades focusing on tightening up energy codes, and I think we've seen over the years that the code has gotten more efficient. But without implementation and compliance, you really don't have anything. It's just a piece of paper. And one of the things that under Mark that ResNet and ICC has worked on is how do we get that compliance? So, Mark, why don't you share your ideas? Because I think this is going to be one of the keys that drives it because code officials are going to more and more rely upon, I think, third parties.
2: One of the big efforts was working together on training. That was critical, but we realized training was just one of the pillars to help get us there. And then working with ResNet on a joint certification program, where we had a program where HERS raiders were certified. And what was unique about that certification program was not only were they certified on the code, but because they were ResNet HERS raiders, they had basically experience, field experience which sometimes can be lacking in the code enforcement area where you hire an inspector and though they may be very talented some of the building provisions and perhaps plumbing, maybe even mechanical, a lot of them didn't have a background in energy. So I think the strength of the collaboration between ResNet and ICC is now we've brought a whole cadre of expertise on energy. To the equation. And as you well know, I mean, when we look back during the last five, six years, we've seen a massive retirement surge in all of our industries, but particularly with those regarding the code enforcement industry. So not only do they have challenges that we face among our building departments about covering all aspects of the code from building, life safety, accessibility, and now energy and green, these are challenges. And you're seeing basically a market. That's seen a lot of retirement. So, where do you get that expertise? And that's where we look to ResNet because, in a lot of cases, energy was the last item uh, that was maybe the focus of building apartments. They had to worry about structural safety, fire and life safety. Those were like number one and two priorities, followed by some of the other provisions in the codes. And a lot of times, energy requirements got maybe a secondary importance or maybe tertiary. So I think that working with ResNet, we've provided what I'd call a relief valve for building departments to lean on third parties that are credible, that have experience in the field and are also certified. So I think that's a major step. But now with the next steps moving forward, it's coming out with the compliance checklist, as well as working with the ResNet on establishing a registry that building departments could go to. To look for the code compliance aspects and have that transparency. So I think this is a huge step forward for ResNet and also ensuring that basically better performing buildings, because I think it's the adage that what gets measured gets done. Well, we could do all the training in the world, we could have certified individuals, but if we don't have that last phase of compliance then we don't have that the final check. and I think that's really the next step. That's the third stool, so to speak. You got training certification and now the compliance side.
1: And I think that's going to be a big drive as more and more energy codes become more important as a policy level.
0: And I want to make sure the listeners recognize who you are, Mark. <laughs> I'm sure they recognize Steve, but could you I should have done this before, but you speak with such great understanding of codes. tell them who you are. <laughs>
2: Yes, I'm currently the Executive Vice President and Director of Business Development at the International Code Council. So just for transparency purposes, we're a nonprofit organization that develops model codes, including the International Energy Conservation Code. And currently, we're getting ready to release the 2024 edition of the Energy Code that should be out sometime in April. I want to do a shout out to the folks, the volunteers that have participated in that process. And ResNet has been very active and involved, their members in participating in the updating of that energy code. And I'd like to acknowledge that because again, we want that involvement. We want that participation in all aspects from all parts of industry, working on our energy code to continue to refine it and to continue to take it to that next level. So again, I'd like to show my appreciation For the ResNet volunteers that have participated in the work on the 2024 IECC.
1: And then, just to add one more aspect of that, is that the federal government's making a major investment through the Inflation Reduction Act and the bipartisan infrastructure bill for energy code implementation. We're going to be seeing billions of dollars, and I think that will also drive the issue of demand for trained professionals to be able to go out in the field and actually show compliance of these homes. The next area that I think that's going to be a major step for meeting our goal is the amended and extended 45L tax credit. In 2022, Congress took the old 45L and did some important things. One, it made it geared upon a federal program for the $2,500, it's going to be the Energy Star, and then for $5,000, the Department of Energy's net zero energy-ready homes. And I think also, it's just as important, it extended the program for 10 years. Previously, it went forward one year, backward one year, and it was never dependency of a builder to be able to achieve it. With this kind of money now providing as an incentive for the builders and the dependability of it, I think that this is going to be another major threshold because both the DOE program and Energy Star does require raters to be able to do the compliance. There's a number of ACOs that could do this under, but I think this is going to be part of the rising tide for demand for these services. And then following it is another thing we've been working hard on, but we're starting to see the fruition is the advantages of where we're increasingly seeing lenders and production builders using the HERS index scores as a matrix for their environmental, social, and governance, or ESG, reporting. I think by and large, pretty much all the production builders in the country that are publicly traded are issuing ESG reports, and it's been common now that The number of their homes that were rated in the average HERS index becomes a matrix for that ESG reporting. And then we're actually seeing finance organizations such as Fannie and Freddie creating programs and green bond programs as part of their ESG reporting and goals. And then I think the other act that's going to be going on that helps that Mark brought up that's going to actually have fruition in wheels now is the water efficiency index. We've been working on that for years. And frankly, it's been done haphazardly and ad hoc through a spreadsheet. It looks like now we'll finally be able to have the engine for HERS in our software so that raters can do both with one computer at one time and do a give, provide a water as well as a HERS rating. I think that makes it easier for builders than to show compliance. And with these numbers and then with the water crisis that Mark talked about, I think we'll see water districts start seeing this as a matrix to provide incentives for new homes coming in, because we're facing a problem in certain communities where water districts are saying, we can't provide water for new homes. And right now, the only option they have in widgets such as low flush toilets and stuff are not enough to achieve the problems that's being on. So I think if you have a measurable set, which you can set on house performance go on, I think this becomes a tool for that. And then finally, I think the next one is going to be a big one, as Mark brought up, is the carbon index. We're working it that it's going to be pretty much seamless when a home is hers rated, it would also be carbon rated. And this will make it much easier then for builders, particularly as they use trying to face carbon strategies to their investors and to the boards of directors to cite another matrix which they can show to demonstrate their sustainability commitments. And so with this easing and seamlessness between the two, I foresee that we're going to see a dramatic jump. In the number of hers, I mean carbon index homes, and I think by and large we're going to be seeing areas that are adopt, particularly cities, climate goals, and this would be a matrix fund that they can use to address housing. And then finally, I think the most exciting to me that's coming up is this whole build to rent movement. As I mentioned, there's a dire housing shortage. The number one clients that are looking for homes right now is the Z generation, and they are now having families. And maybe the loss in the sitter cities doesn't meet the situation now that they have kids. And I think they're trying to go back to finding places where they can live, where they grew up as an environment, where schools are good. So I think that's driving this force. The problem of this generation is for a number of things, one of which is they're heavily debted with student loans, which provides the income The loan ratio is pretty tough. And the other one, because of the problems of the past in 2008 down payments are gone, so much expensive. And the of housing so much expensive. So we have families out there that is in need of housing that would like to have new energy efficient housing, but cannot afford to do a mortgage loan. And that's where the whole build and rent movement comes in. Because you can have that and you can then be able to, because a lot of these families have good cash flow, they just can't afford a mortgage loan. So this would have the ability for families that are uh, new families to be able to have an energy efficient home and be able to afford it. And we're increasingly seeing the numbers, the developers that are developing Build-to-Rent are now committing to have all their homes first rated because that's another thing that the demographics are looking for housing right now, seeing energy efficiency, environmental sustainability is very important. So I think all these measures put together is creating a whole new dynamic that really is above and beyond a traditional way we looked at ratings as an energy efficient metric.
0: When it comes to all these topics, a great list of initiatives that have been built up here, and I know you, you both, you gentlemen both look globally at various factors. Are there any hints coming from Canada or the North America or in Europe that are helping you shape these initiatives?
1: One is definitely, I have to say Europe, because Europe has taken for a long time carbon emissions very seriously. And the European Union, gosh, almost twenty years ago, adopted an initiative which was called the Energy Performance and Buildings Directive. And among it was the idea that there would be transparency in the purchase or renting of homes. And many governments in Europe require energy ratings to take place on homes and that they're posted. And when you go to, for instance, in Germany or France and you go by a real estate office, you'll see the listing of homes that we see, all see. But within that you'll see the rating about it. So it puts that transparency to someone shopping a house knowing how efficient that home is. The other thing that's interesting that we're seeing coming from abroad is particularly from Europe, we're seeing investors that are committed themselves to sustainable lending. And what they're increasingly seeing is the US as a very interesting tool because frankly we've been lagging behind Europe in terms of our carbon initiatives. And I think what you're seeing is it's a whole great idea. So we're seeing European investors investing in energy-efficient projects and developments. And I know at least on several cases on build Durant, rent that funding went there with the idea that they had to be either HERS rated or carbon rated at a certain score.
0: Mark, you have some insights into that question there about the international aspects?
2: From my perspective, and again, I'm looking at it from a, primarily an ICC code perspective about some of the activities we've been involved in is we're seeing a lot more uptake in our international energy code and our green construction code, particularly in the Caribbean, where we have actually developed working with the Caribbean countries, the Caribbean nations, a base document called the CARICOM Regional Energy Efficiency Building Code. And what's interesting about that is is that they included the energy rating index path, which is near and dear to, I know, ResNet's heart and our heart at ResNet. That was included in that document. So I think It's hard to say where they're at in terms of their evolution, but there is the prospects that we could end up seeing perhaps HERS raiders in the Caribbean one day, at least from an enforcement standpoint, and potentially going beyond that. Also, we're seeing activity where our energy code is currently being scrutinized by Pakistan. They're going to be adopting our energy code. We also have our energy code used in parts of the Middle East. I think as we evolve globally with the usage of our energy code, some of the provisions, particularly those involving the energy rating index, will provide an opportunity from code compliance standpoint for ResNet, but also too, as a tool potentially to do energy ratings that could be above code and could be a driver there. So I think we're laying the groundwork and foundation for collaboration internationally.
0: Very good. And the reason for this question is I want the listeners to understand. I know a little bit more about you than some of the listeners probably, that you gentlemen and your teams are very well studied and very well researched. And you're looking at this broadly and continuously. So these are not lightly taken. These are very serious steps in this initiative. I wanted to make sure that was drawn out. I appreciate that. Welcome. Going back around, and we touched on it at the beginning, but maybe we could wrap up by saying how confident is ResNet in meeting this million goal?
2: I was a little concerned at first, Bill. When when Steve brought it up, I'm a guy who likes to do the math. And I started running the numbers. And again, I'm looking at roughly, it's looking like somewhere between 170 to 175% increase. My question was, okay, so how are we going to get there? And when Steve started laying out the issue that we had the carbon index we're rolling out. That'll be obviously an opportunity. And then the water efficiency index, he had two new programs that were being rolled out. And then when I started looking at the data and how well the energy rating indexes have grown in the number of them over the years, they do the COVID period. It seemed like the momentum Continued. So at that point, I began to develop a sense of confidence and then realized that Steve hadn't gotten uh, too squirrely on us. So I realized that he did have a plan, and I felt confident as president of the board to say, "Yes, I can get behind this." After I, I did a little due diligence on my own, I said, "Yeah, Steve does have a really good plan, and the Resnet team. I feel really confident that that's obtainable." Bill, very
1: good. And I think the thing about it, it is audacious, as Mark said. And in some respects, I think that's the period of time we are in. Because clearly the clock is ticking on carbon. And I think what we're demonstrating is the private sector can play an important role, doesn't have to sit back and wait for government. And so it is the point now. And if you set audacious goals, it creates inspiration. And I think the other thing is, it's going to make some tough decisions because all these initiatives are not going to be cheap. And it's going to require an investment by the board. And that's why we said this is all part of a goal driven budget. If it comes about, that and can all all goals. You have to be realistic as you go through and see if you're tracking there. But also, is are we willing to put the investment necessary to give the tools to achieve that? So this is a dynamic field. But I do laud the board because I think that really is what future should be: is that budgets are a tool to achieve a goal. Too often the goal is the budget, and what the board has done is broke that model and said, okay, let's set a goal, and let's our better base that budget on meeting that goal. So this is a grand, brand new experiment, but if we're able to do this with the initiatives we've talked about, as Mark said, I felt better after he went through it because he is the pragmatic pen to pencil. Can this even be what planet did I come from initially? But I also believe you have to be audacious. I think that the times are being switched, and if we don't do it now, when is it going to be done? So I think it created the atmosphere and we'll just have to sit back. But I am confident that the initiatives that we've all talked about will give us a big leg, and I think it is a a pathway forward.
0: Mark, any closing thought to amplify Steve's sentiments there?
2: All said, I'm very excited about the goals. I think that, again, there are stretch goals, but they're viable. And also, too, the one thing that I think that you can't dismiss is really the passion that's in our industry. We're not selling soft drinks. It's something that HERS Raiders, they believe in. It's a mission. Energy efficiency, water efficiency, better performing residential construction. It's embodied in them. It's embodied in our marketplace. That's something that also gives me comfort, knowing that the passion among HERS Raiders, and also, too, the visibility of how important it is to transform things. We can't keep doing business as usual. If we're going to hit our climate goals, we have to take some major steps. Obviously, the federal government is making a huge investment. Society—it's become the norms now. We demand better performing buildings. The next generation is looking at the environmental aspects with a lot more scrutiny. So when you add all that to the equation, I feel really confident that the goals, though they're stretch goals, are obtainable. And these are exciting times. And I think that by Steve laying out a goal that is a bit of a stretch, but doable, but viable. It rallies all of us together. Instead of just business as usual, we'll set goals that are easy to obtain. No, this is going to be a challenging goal, but definitely obtainable. And I'm excited. I'm really very excited about the prospects for the future.
1: And I'd like to highlight one of the things about the passion of the industry, because I think that is momentum. There is in history tipping points, And I think there's a combination of things. But I think when you look at the key tipping points was the enthusiasm and commitment that was to even to go. Like John F. Kennedy in 1961 saying, a man would be on the moon by the end of the decade. And so I think that we show these things can work. But I came back from our recent conference. We had our first in-person ResNet conference in November. And just the, the energy, enthusiasm, and dedication out there was just, you could feel it in the air. I think everyone was glad to see each other again, and I think you saw a synthesis of commitment. And I think now with that as a foundation, setting a goal in which all can aspire to, I think we could be at a tipping point.
0: I agree so much, especially I was at that conference, and I'll say you're going to need to create a new standard called the Embodied Passion Index. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. We'll close on that note, that happy note that there's so much passion in this industry. Thank you again, gentlemen, and I wish you the best for 2024, and we'll be in touch and see each other soon, I'm sure. All
1: right. Thank you, Bill. That sounds great. Thanks a lot, Bill.
0: Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Res Talk podcast. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing. You can also listen in your browser to this podcast by following the links at resnet, R E S N E T dot us forward slash professional. If you're a pro in the building market, surf on over to that same address, resnet.us slash professional to learn more or join the email list. And you can also find ResNet on Facebook or Twitter. A quote for today related to the episode. This is by Jesse Jackson. Time is neutral and does not change things. With courage and initiative, leaders change things. If you want to feedback to ResNet, what you heard here today, or like to hear a new topic covered, or just have a general question, Please send an email to info at resnet.us, R-E-S-N-E-T.us. Thanks again as always for listening to the Res Talk Podcast. And welcome to 2024. We got a lot of great episodes scheduled up for this coming year. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Res Talk Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn produced by William Peacebone, LLC, and is a production of ResNet, the residential energy services network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. We would appreciate a review on iTunes or on the podcast app. This will help others find the show. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk.